Welcome to the Sermon Podcast at Bethel. We're a covenant church located in western Wisconsin, and you can find out more information about us at BethelCov.org. My name is Todd Speaker. I'm the pastor here, and I want to thank you for listening. All right, well, um, you guys all probably know this, but maybe some of us don't. Uh, <clears throat> October is the month uh, that this church was founded, uh, that this church had its first official, like, like founding. It was towards the end of the month of October. Um, and does anybody know uh, what year that happened? I know some of you know, probably. 1880. It's a really easy to remember year. <clears throat> and so if you're good at math, uh, that means that this October... You don't have to be that good at math. Uh, this church <laughs> will be 141 years old. Isn't that incredible? 141 years. Uh, and, and if you know the story of this church, it wasn't obviously always in uh, this building, but it's pretty much always been in this spot, that in this community for 141 years, uh, there's been a, a community of, of Christians, a community of, of the church uh, and over the, the history of this church, uh, folks came together that, you know, started out farming in these, in these hills, uh, and they came together, um, many of them from Scandinavia to a new place uh, where everyone spoke a weird, different language, uh, English, and they got together. <laughs> Uh, and in, on this spot, they worshiped, they worshiped Jesus together. As they came, they thought, we need uh, to start a church uh, to plant, um, uh, to make sure that their feet were planted in the right place. And that though they couldn't stand um, on their home soil anymore, they could still stand on the solid rock. And if you look at the history of this church, um, it's a history of, of planting faith and hope in Jesus. And this month, as October, we're going to spend a little bit of time every week uh, thanking God for what he did uh, over the history and the life of this church. We're going to have a, a more of a celebration Sunday towards the end of the month where we'll, we'll celebrate what God has done over the years and what maybe he's doing now. Uh, Patrick, who's, who's sitting back there at the sound booth, is producing this a beautiful uh, video history of, of Bethel. I'm taking all the stuff he's been pouring through our archives and sending me, oh, you wouldn't believe what they did here. Uh, I found this person preaching or whatever. It's going to be it's going to be awesome, uh, and so that we're going to do that last. Um, and uh, the week before that, um, every week this month, we're going to be focused on um, what it means uh, to leave a legacy and what it means to um, have received a legacy. Because each of us, as a part of this church, have had something handed on to us from the previous generation, from the people that um, many of whom are buried right over there, that started this church and faced all kinds of challenges and, and circumstances that they couldn't imagine, unprecedented realities, and somehow they still held firm standing on that solid rock. And so we, we want to we focus on them. And so this week we're going to talk about uh, just a little bit about what it means to leave a legacy of faith and to, to grab onto that legacy of faith. We're going to look at a, a story in in Mark, um, <clears throat> about that, that captures what it means, that core thing that we're holding on to uh, as, as Christians, um, or at least, at least a part of that. Um, next week, we're going to talk about what it means to, um, 
pass on faith in, in relationships of, of support and mentorship to others? What does it mean to, to care for somebody and help them get to know who Jesus is on a one-on-one level and, and to follow somebody that knows what they're talking about? The, the week after, I'm going to be gone uh, doing, a, doing a wedding, uh, but we have a, a, a pastor coming um, from the cities, and she's going to talk about what it means to pass faith on to the next generation, to youth and children. I encourage you to be a part of that. Uh, the Sunday after that is going to be is going to be really special too. Um, we're going to dedicate that Sunday um, to remembering uh, some of the people that we've lost recently. And so I encourage you, if you um, lost anybody in the last couple of years um, and you have a picture of them, we're, we're, part of it is we're going to keep uh, pictures of people up here on the communion table and we're going to thank, we're going to thank God for them. Uh, so I invite you, encourage you to participate in that. Uh, but so today we're, we're celebrating what it means uh, to have a legacy of faith uh, that's a, a legacy of, of life. And, and I know, know about you, but when I look out, uh, when I first moved here especially, and I look out and I see uh, the cornfields and I know some of our, our farming families and I hear their stories about trying to pass that legacy on to the next generation, uh, we have the same call. And so I'm going to share a little bit about the, the person that, one of the people that's a part of my legacy uh, right now. So this next picture, uh, there's a, a really young guy in there. Uh, so that, uh, that young man up there is Stanley, uh, Stanley Elvin. Uh, so that's my grandfather, that's my mom's dad, and that's Jenny, that's Grandma Jenny, his wife. Um, uh, Stanley, uh, Grandpa Stan, he passed away when I was in, in high school, and and so most of what I know, they lived far away. You know, we lived in Colorado. They lived in Arizona. And so most of what I know about Grandpa Stan uh, fills like three interactions at his house and then a bunch of stories, uh, a bunch of stories from my mom. Uh, and you, you, you don't need to know all this, but I'll tell you a little bit. I'll indulge myself a little bit. Stan was a, he was a contractor. He built buildings. And if you've ever been... Uh, on the north side of the city of Chicago, he built a ton of those brick buildings on the north side of the city of Chicago. So they lived there for a long time uh, and, and had the Stanley Elvin Construction Company. You know, back then it was, it was sort of like this and they were putting <laughs> buildings in and he was a part of that. So my mom uh, always tells me about that. When they moved to Arizona, when he retired, uh, he continued doing construction in Phoenix where they lived uh, and uh, was actually managed an apartment building right right behind his house and, and you know, built this, uh, built this thing. And, and the most of the stuff that I remember about uh, Grandpa Stan, uh, when I met him, he was a little older, was that he was uh, both tall and bald. And so as someone having inherited the tallness genes, I think a lot about how Grandpa Stan was bald. Uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, I, you know, he lived, he lived far away, and we'd go visit his house, and Grandpa Stan would sit uh, in, in the living room and, and just welcome people in. Uh, you know, I don't have anything um, from his, his days as a, as a contractor or as a builder. Those buildings are probably still standing. Um, you know, I don't know much about uh, who he was on the job site, but I know uh, that he was a person of welcome. Uh, for me, that was his legacy, because we would go to his house uh, in Phoenix, and they, if you've ever been to Phoenix, you know this is a problem. We'd go in the summer, and Grandpa Stan did not have central air. Um, and so, if you, yeah, it's a big deal. And so we would go, and he would just, every window and every door in this whole uh, Rambler would be open. Uh, and there'd be fans blowing everywhere. 
uh, and, and kids, my cousins and neighborhood kids and, and everybody, just running in and out of the house and getting into trouble. Uh, and Stan would sit there in his chair, and he would just uh, take it all in and, and enjoy it. Um, and when I think about the, the things that really mattered about Stan's life and the legacy that he's passed on uh, to, his, uh, to my mom and, and, and even to us, um, the, the word that comes to mind is, is just welcome. He let us have the run of his house, welcome. When his uh, sister-in-law, um, <clears throat> uh, Stan's uh, sister-in-law had uh, developmental disabilities, my great aunt Doris, and, and he welcomed her in to live in his home with him and Jenny, and, and even after Grandma Jenny passed away, Doris still lived in the home, and, and Grandpa Stan took care of her and watched out for her. I remember as a kid, they had this really cool... Um, mechanism to open the door. They had this tennis ball that would like auto-close the door for Aunt Doris when she went in. I remember I'd play with that all the time. But it was a, a reminder that uh, Grandpa Stan's house was a house of welcome. It wasn't um, always perfectly ordered. Um, it wasn't always perfectly clean, but it was full of welcome. And behind his house, he had these apartment buildings. Uh, and and Stan, uh, Grandpa Stan was a, um, a soft-hearted, uh, people-loving, uh, welcoming landlord as well. Uh, my mom tells me stories of the people that um, lived in his building and that when they had trouble, they would find jobs for them to do in the house or, uh, you know, financial difficulties or how they held baby showers uh, for uh, people that lived in the building or, um, you know, those, those little things. This is, it's just like for me, it's just, it's just welcome. Life filled up his home. And, and despite the fact that I don't have that many memories of Stan, I know that Grandpa Stan, he's, he's in me because he taught my mom who she was and she has helped make me who I am. And, and the things that he passed down to me, um, I'll never be able to separate what came from somewhere else and what came from Grandpa Stan. But we always leave a legacy uh, on the people that we touch, the interactions that we have. Um, and, you know, and it's, and it's all over, whether it's, it's the, the farm field. And, and as I um, was thinking about this church and the history of this church for 141 years and the legacy that it left, it just it made me wonder, you know, what, what are they going to say about Bethel in the 2010s and the 2020s? And what are they uh, going to take from, from me and from you? You know, what legacy are, are we all leaving? What's the legacy of this church going to be? And, and as I was reading Mark 2, that's where we are today, Mark chapter 2. As I was reading Mark uh, chapter 2, um, there's a, I think there's a story about um, legacy in there. And so I want to I take just a, a little look at what it means to leave a legacy of faith. What are we trying to leave behind uh, to the next generation and for future people? Because this is a story uh, that had those kinds of impacts. This is a story that impacted many uh, and, and changed the people involved, and, and they, in turn, touched and changed others. And it was so significant uh, that the author of Mark, uh, having seen or heard or talked to witnesses of this story, said, yes, this needs to be uh, recorded. This needs to be remembered. And I think this ca it, it captures, uh, there's some characters in here, and they all uh, leave a little bit of a legacy. But we're just gonna, I'm just going to walk through it. Uh, so Mark uh, 2, uh, verse 1 um, I always love when chapters start with a few days later. So uh, Jesus was out teaching, uh, and it says a few days later, uh, Jesus again entered Capernaum. 
And the people heard that he had come home. So this tells us two small pieces of information about Jesus, that at the time, his base of operations, uh, he was living in Capernaum, because otherwise, why would they say that he came home? Uh, So Jesus comes back home from the mission. Uh, But unfortunately, or perhaps fortunately for Jesus, um, he is now well-known enough in the area that he can't take a weekend off and go home and not have people follow him. And so while Jesus goes home, and, and some uh, scholars actually think this is maybe his own house where he's living, but maybe he's, he's staying with someone else. Um, uh, when Jesus gets home, it says that the people that he had been teaching and healing uh, in, in the region, they followed him home. They heard he had come home, and they gathered in such numbers that there was no room left in the house that Jesus was staying in, whether it's his house or somebody else's. Uh, And there was no room outside the door as he preached the word to them. So, you know, we're talking standing room only. There were no fire marshals, but this was a a full, a full house. And so people are crammed in there because they've seen Jesus do these amazing things. They've heard uh, that he does miracles. They've heard him teach, and they want to hear what he has to say because this is something special. And so people pack into his house, and there's no room. Poor Jesus, he can't, he can't get away and take a weekend off. No, the, the teaching, it comes with him now uh, because of the work that God is doing, and I bet he wasn't that disappointed. Um, so people came desperate for more. Um, and so as Jesus is teaching, uh, we have kind of our, our story begin in verse 3. It says, um, some, some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. So we have our first couple characters. We've got Jesus, We've got the, the friends of the paralyzed man, and we have a paralyzed man. They have a friend with a problem. And as they arrive at the house with their friend on, on the mat, um, because they know Jesus is special, they know he's been healing people, they know miracles are happening, uh, and they see the house, and they see the crowd packed all outside the door, leaning into the door to hear just a, a word that Jesus might say, and, and they think, oh, forget it, let's just go home, <laughs> Right? No, no, of course not. Of course not. They don't think that. Um, they, say, they say this. It says, since they couldn't get to Jesus because of the crowd, they couldn't make it through the crowd, they sneak around maybe to the other side of the building, and they get up on the roof, and they start digging through, through the roof of the house that Jesus is staying in. Jesus is in the middle of, of teaching, uh, and they're like, yep, I'm just going to push this aside and get in here because we've got a friend who's, who's sick. Now, this is obviously extreme, uh, but, but they do it. And so as they, they open a little hole uh, in, in the roof, um, it says that Jesus um, saw them. And, and it doesn't say that Jesus, this is verse 5, it doesn't say that Jesus saw their audacity. This is pretty audacious. It doesn't say that Jesus saw their frustrating disruption to the important teaching that he was doing. No, no, he doesn't say that. It says Jesus saw their faith. He saw their faith because the way that people see our faith, right, is based on our actions. Uh, so they believe, this is really simple, this isn't, um, you know, loosey-goosey feeling stuff. This is, this is simple. They believe Jesus could help their friend, so they got their friend to Jesus. That's their act of faith. For some reason, they were convinced enough that Jesus could do something that they uh, broke social norms and a roof <laughs> to get their friend there. And And Jesus says this to the paralyzed man after seeing the faith of his friends. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. 
I, I think it's kind of funny that, you know, Jesus is staying in somebody's house, and they bust through the roof, and the first thing he says is, is you're forgiven. It's, it's okay. Uh, but he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And it's more than just the roof. There's, there's something deeper going on. Uh, and, and at this point, um, there's another uh, character I want to introduce there in bold in our chapter here. They're just called some teachers. Um, and so there's some teachers of the law. Uh, these are people that have dedicated their life to following the God of Israel. Uh, these are people that know their Bible better than anybody else and that have, have dedicated their life to helping people learn how to follow God faithfully. They've dedicated their lives to passing on on what they think is a legacy of, of faith. And they're sitting there as this man, uh, as Jesus says that this man is forgiven, as the, the door opens and all this crazy disruption happens, and they're thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? How can this man talk like that? He's blaspheming. That means he's He's speaking against God. He's putting himself in God's place. How dare he? They think, who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, if you know the story of the Gospels, you know these teachers, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that are trying to carry the true uh, uh, biblical Jewish faith forward to the next generation. They're constantly frustrated by Jesus because what a legacy of faith and life looks like to Jesus um, with his perspective being God is, is just different than what they've been carrying forward. And so this is one of their first times in Mark that they have a little bit of conflict. And it's funny because we know uh, they don't actually say anything. And they're not challenging Jesus. They're not uh, saying anything at all. They're just thinking it. Uh, but you can tell this is included because they're, sort of, they're sort of taking notes, right? There's this teacher He's teaching. We want to hear what he has to say and evaluate it to see if he's a good guy or a, or a bad guy, if he's, he's going to help us pass on a biblical faith or not, and we should kind of oppose him. Um, and so they're, they're taking notes. And they're so busy uh, paying attention to what Jesus is saying and whether or not they think that's an okay thing for him to say uh, that they're unable to see the rest of the story. They don't see the faith of the man opening the roof. They don't see the paralyzed man on the mat. All they can think of is this guy uh, does not have the authorization to do that. This guy is speaking the wrong theology. You know, who cares about the paralyzed man if it was done, uh, if he was healed in the wrong way? Who cares about the fruit if they don't believe right? Uh, but it, it says in, in verse 8, this is why you got to be careful around Jesus if you're, if you're a teacher in the first century. It says, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit what it was they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, um, you know, it's one thing when you're whispering in class and the teacher's like, can you say that for the whole class to hear? Uh, there you're thinking in class. And Jesus, Jesus says, why are you thinking these things? Which, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man on the mat? Your sins are forgiven or get up, take your mat and walk. See, to Jesus, the, the spiritual uh, uh, condition and the, and the sins being forgiven and the physical ailment are, are connected. And so Jesus says, I, I can say it either way. May the, the consequences um, be lifted off of you or um, may you get up and walk. But I want you to know, Jesus says, that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. I want you to know uh, that uh, who I am. <laughs> So he says to the man, I tell you, get up, 
take your mat and go home. Uh, now, you imagine being the, being the man here. You know, in, in the ancient world, um, you know, today, um, probably sadly, we don't really elevate um, teachers in our society to levels of prominence. We, we pay them as little as we can, and we give them a hard time all the time. Sorry, my wife's a teacher, so she, she knows. Uh, no, you know, so, but in this day, like, if you were a teacher of religious law, like, you're, you're up there in the social hierarchy. You're a person of power and privilege that everybody's supposed to listen to and defer to. And so you can imagine being the man, and he knows over here these men of importance uh, are against this Jesus guy, and this, this crazy guy with these crowds outside of his house says, uh, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. You know, what do you do? You've been paralyzed your whole life. Do you even, do you even try? <laughs> Uh, but he does. He takes, he takes the chance. He gets up, he takes out his mat, and he walks out in full view of everyone. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Uh, so this is a, uh, just this one little uh, moment, this moment of God at work, and we see how all these others are involved, but uh, these kinds of situations is that man, you can imagine, he picks up his mat and right the house is packed, so he's kind of like, oh, excuse me, you know, excuse me, and like forcing his way out the door. Um, and, and the people, they're just, they're just shocked, and they do what people do when they see God do something amazing. They, they praise God. They say, thank you. We, we've never seen anything like this. And in moments like this, they, they leave a mark, right? Uh, they leave a mark on a community because every person involved in that story uh, received something. Something happened, and it left such a mark that somebody w- that was there thought, this needs to be told to others and written down and carried. Uh, these situations leave a mark. And, and any time in our lives when we are encountering people who are, are really struggling or having a hard time, when we are struggling, when we see others suffering, when important things happen, those, those situations, they, they change us forever. And they're not everything. You know, a lot of stuff led up to Mark too. But um, the way we respond in those moments, they, they leave a legacy. Uh, they leave uh, something behind. Uh, and whether it's a conflict, whether it's, a, a, again, a person you care about that's in the hospital, and how do you respond in that moment, it, it, people carry that forward more than you know, what you ate for lunch on Tuesday. It leaves a mark, and Mark 2, we know it left a mark, because here we are 2,000 years later reading it in a building together. Um, And and, and the ways that we respond, it it leaves something behind. And so I just want to take a minute to to go through through our characters and and how they respond and and, and invite you to think about what kind of legacy that leaves, what kind of uh, um, splash and impact that that happens. Uh, You know, we start with with the friends in the story. The friends uh, left a legacy of faith and a legacy of caring for others, right? They knew somebody and loved somebody in need. You don't wind up carrying somebody on a mat, paralyzed through somebody's roof, if you don't have relationships with people that are having hard hard situations, right? Most people um, probably didn't have a relationship with the man on the mat, but he had friends, and if he didn't have people that cared about him, he never would have been there. In fact, they cared so much about this guy, they, um, they like broke the rules to get him the help that he needed. They, they, they sinned almost uh, to get him into that building. They broke somebody else's roof on the mere chance 
that if this Jesus person was who everybody was saying he was, uh, it would be worth the reprimand, it would be worth the crime to see him well. The crowd, uh, the homeowner, uh, you know, Jesus, as they are teaching, uh, they excused and allowed the interruption. How many times uh, when we're doing something else that seems really important and somebody else comes up with a need, we say, okay, I understand, we'll talk about this later. But for whatever reason, Jesus, the crowd, and the homeowner, they saw this spectacle and they didn't say, hey, come talk to me later. They uh, allow the interruption. And they realized that that's what they were there for. What does a legacy of faith look like when we take the opportunities that God puts in front of us when he does? Uh, Jesus, of course, he saw the opportunity. He saw this interruption, this break in the roof, not as a distraction from his mission, but as his mission to show God's love and healing power. In that moment, it was clear that that man on the mat um, was the point of the day and not whatever it was that he was talking about before. Jesus was ready. He left a legacy of caring in that moment. The paralyzed man, uh, sometimes when we're hurt, when we're struggling, when we're suffering, others want to help carry us, but we aren't ready to be carried. But the paralyzed man in this moment, he allowed himself to be carried. Do you think um, that maybe over the course of his life he had seen Lots of people that maybe could have helped him and didn't. It could be. Uh, we don't know. When that happens, so when you live your whole life carrying a, a heavy burden, um, sometimes you, you push those away that would want to help. But, but in this moment, the paralyzed man, for whatever reason, he allowed himself to be carried there. And he had the faith to stand up and be healed and forgiven. He's someone who knew he had a need and wasn't too proud uh, to get help. Uh, the teachers, the teachers of the law, you know, they did what good gatekeepers do. They said, no, I don't think so. That doesn't seem right. Um, and, and whenever God does something amazing, whenever we're um, trying to be faithful to God's call, there are always going to be uh, somebody that says, I don't like how you're doing that. I don't know if that's the right way to do that. Um, there's always going to be somebody who sees the good thing happening and finds a problem. The, the religious leaders, the gatekeepers, the fence builders, they're, they're trying their best uh, to protect the faith. And this is an important warning for us because sometimes we can get so obsessed with, well, what do we do to make sure that our, our church continues on or that my kids um, learn who Jesus is and these important, valuable goals, and we decide we're going to do it by building a really strong fence around their lives so that they'll never, ever dare step out of God's of God's love, that, that we're going to make sure that we're holding the truth as tightly as possible, that we're never um, explaining uh, the gospel differently, that we're never um, reaching out in ways that make us uncomfortable, because if we do that, we're going to lose the heart of it, and so the, the fence builders, their legacy is, is, is trying so hard to protect something that matters to them, that they lose sight of it. Everything they do through the whole gospel all the way up until putting Jesus on the cross, is justified by trying to do the right thing and follow God's word. And there will always be people like this, and, and, and there will be always be times when we are tempted to be like this, but they and we are need, in need of forgiveness and grace and patience. But 
um, it's important as we're thinking about what it means to leave a legacy of faith in our community, they can't, those, those gatekeepers can't be allowed to keep other people out. They can't be allowed to say, I don't think that person belongs where the healing is. Uh, so, so, so that's, that's, um, that's what this is. Um, <laughs> And we get to choose, uh, and we get to choose who we're going to be in those moments. Are we going to be the kind of person that knows those who are hurting and has the faith to bring them to help? Because a legacy of, of faith, a legacy of following Jesus, the legacy of the church of Bethel, 141 years, is not a legacy of a building, it's not a legacy of a field. It's not a legacy of paying bills. It's not a legacy of, of creating um, good, perfect boundaries and, and doctrines. It's not a legacy of amassing uh, political power or fame. The legacy of the church, our legacy uh, of followers of Jesus, is not about being morally pure or perfect or always getting it right. Um, uh, those things are, are good. Buildings are fine. It's important to do the right thing, to be faithful. Uh, but if our legacy is about those things, we leave behind what it is that God's actually trying to do. Uh, because when our legacy is about get it, making sure everybody's perfectly lined up in the right way, we miss what it is that God is doing. A legacy of faith is about uh, confessing, uh, knowing, and, and going. And I'm just going to take a minute uh, to go through here. Uh, we talk about confessing. Uh, confessing has this weird connotation for many of us, but, but a legacy of faith must be based on recognizing our own need as sinful people. Um, we can't pass faith on to anybody else if we're unwilling to see the fact that we are not the perfect people that we're trying to make others into. A legacy of faith is about accepting and recognizing our own need. It's about knowing that there's a place where life is found. And it's about going to that place and bringing others to Christ. Uh, so, so, so when we talk about, uh, about the church, you know, our job, our job is not um, to, um, to change everybody's mind that we, we disagree with. Um, it's not uh, to, to practice faith perfectly. It's, it's simply this, to, be, to say, I am not perfect. I'm broken and sinful and fallen, and I'm, I fail, and God is still at work on me. So that's the first one. And I know that there's a community of others, uh, people in Christ, the body of Christ, the church, uh, that, that I can come to and receive God's grace and healing and encouragement and challenge, and that I can come to Christ himself to be made new, and then it's about bringing others into that place. Even people that aren't perfect, even people that um, are, are making mistakes, the, the legacy of faith uh, is, is like, um, um, the, the, best, the best story is, it's like um, uh, if you're a, a beggar uh, that figures out where there's free bread. Uh, if you're a beggar, if you're starving on the streets and you figure out there's a place where you can find free bread and maybe you bring some of your friends who are struggling to get some free bread too, that's, that's, that's the church. We are starving people. We are people that don't have it figured out, that don't have it all right, but we know where life is, and we're invited to bring others to it. Sometimes, um, sometimes we get to be friends of people that are really in need. We recognize our need, but 
we know they're struggling. Sometimes we get to be friends, and so we're called uh, to be near to hurting people that are struggling and help bring them to the great healer in his body, the, the church. Sometimes we're the man or the woman on the mat. We're helpless before our wounds. We're broken. We're hopeless. We don't know how anything could get better. We don't know how there could ever be any healing in our lives. And our call in that moment on the mat is to let others bring us to Christ. Sometimes we're the crowd pressing in uh, to get what we think we need from God and, and the sidetracks and the interruptions. Um, we, we think, oh, why is that person's need in, in my way? Why isn't God filling me up? Well, a legacy of faith is about practicing patience and forgiveness, recognizing that we are in a community that is not perfect. Sometimes in the church we get to be the homeowners whose house is messed up, whose roofs are torn through. May we have the grace to bear that well. Sometimes we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus, offering forgiveness and love and healing. Um, the church, it means we come together broken and messed up from different places and different ideas. We come together because we believe that we can find life in Christ together. And if we can pass one thing on uh, to the next generation, to the world, is, is not a perfect way of living, is not a perfect rule for life, though there are great ways to live in Scripture. It's not having every single box checked and having this beautiful but false certainty. Um, if there's one thing we could pass on as the church, it's this, is, is that we would know that here in, in this community and in Christ, um, life is found. Uh, that here, uh, healing is available, that here is hope in the storm, that here is forgiveness for your sins and my sins and anyone else's sins, and that here is, is the bread of eternal life. Not a perfect knowledge, not perfect understanding, not uh, correct everything, not that it doesn't matter to have these conversations but the most important thing is that right here is where life is. And my prayer is that if we do that, that when the people that we love and care about and the people of this community that will follow us for generations and generations encounter trouble and hurt and harm and that are suffering and they need life or they recognize the life that they're missing, that they'll remember that there is a place for messed up people who don't get everything right but who want to taste life that can only be found in Christ. My prayer is that our doors would be open so wide that we could include every single person who can recognize their need for Jesus, but aren't so wide that those that are sure they've already arrived feel comfortable. We're invited to participate in God's legacy of welcome. That's, and, th and that's it. That's the, the Christian faith. One one beggar, one messed up person showing another person where life is. If we are willing to admit our need, confess, and put our hope in Christ, we might get to be a part of not only receiving life, but bringing others to it. Thanks for listening. I want to invite you to join us in worship Sundays at 10 a.m., both in person or online at facebook.com slash Bethel Covenant Church. Thanks and have a great day.